gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 101, the review segment for Friday, January 8th, 2016, New Year, 2015 movie to discuss because none of us saw The Forest. We're going to talk about The Hateful Eight, which, uh, I, you know, is basically still being— Oh, no, it got wide release on January 1st, so it's kind of a 2016 release, but it's yeah. now basically everywhere. <laughs> um, but I believe all of us saw it in the 70-millimeter roadshow format that uh, Quentin Tarantino basically intended, right? We all saw it in 70. Yes. Yay. Man. Um, uh, yeah, so we saw a three-hour version of this movie with an <laughs> overture and an intermission. Uh, it's Quentin Tar- It's the eighth movie. Yeah, the eighth movie from Quentin Tarantino. It's uh, largely set in this one. Uh, haberdashery, where all of these various uh, hateful and mysterious characters have been trapped by a blizzard. It's uh, got Kurt Russell as a hangman and Jennifer Jason Leigh as the woman he's taken to the gallows and Walton Goggins as the guy who may or may not actually be the in- incoming sheriff of the nearest town and Samuel Jackson is there and Bruce Stern is there and there's, you know, they wind up in this room and no one knows what anybody's motivations are. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie, so there's lots of talking, lots of the N-word, lots of violence. Um, I'm going to stop talking about this movie because I didn't like it that much, and I would rather someone else start the conversation. And Patches, I think you are the biggest fan of the movie well, on this podcast, so maybe you should uh, what, kick it wait, off. Hold off. Why don't you like this movie? I what, wanted what, what to give kernel, someone. What is the kernel of this movie that drove you insane? Uh, that because you the... you didn't just not like this movie. You left and you were fuming. You did. You really did not like this movie. From my uh, well, uh, by the end of it, I liked it better. The first half, I deeply considered walking out of intermission and might have if I were not. You yes, know, that's the scary part about an intermission. Everyone gets to talk amongst themselves for twelve <laughs> and minutes, roll and their eyes. Um, I felt like it was about ninety minutes of movie in a three-hour package, and the ninety-minute movie that it had was not even that interesting. It kind of goes over a lot of the same ideas from Django Unchained about race and America and the West and, you know. Does it? Does it? What morality? are those ideas exactly? Well, we can get, we can get into that later if we want to. I mean, the idea of, like, black revenge and about to. people, like, rewriting the narrative of the American West and, you know, taking history and tweaking it and putting it on its head, which is something Tarantino's been doing a lot of lately. Uh, it's a lot of talking around the same ideas, it felt to me, a lot of monologues that didn't seem to be going anywhere. I didn't feel that engaged by the characters. I didn't, when it got in kind of the murder mystery locked room, uh, story of it. I didn't feel like it was really playing with the uh, the mystery at all. Like, there wasn't enough information given to the audience for you to play along, so you're just kind of watching this whole thing happen. It really, it felt sloppy to me. It felt like someone, or Tarantino, like, fell in love with a lot of ideas, got characters, like, liked putting his words down on page, as he usually does, and then didn't have a story to go along with it. I agree. I feel like it was bloated and self-indulgent. Um, but when it was good, it was great, as all Tarantino is. You know, so when, um, you know, Walton Goggins or Jennifer Jason Lee it takes a scene and runs with it, it's wonderful. But as a whole coherent piece of film, I'm, I'm curious to see the edited down version, actually. Um, but it's only what, like, 10 minutes shorter? It's not yeah, that much shorter. Yeah, it's yeah, not shorter yeah. enough for me to be that curious. And also, I loved Walton Goggins in it. So yeah. I, well, did, there, I did not hate this movie start to finish. I'm biased because I love him, but Walton Goggins, I thought, was the star of the film, despite all the larger names on the bill. So, what? 
So when you say that it's indulgent, because I've seen this uh, criticism quite a bit, what what do you what what stands out? Is there anything that comes to mind that seems particularly <laughs> indulgent in this film as opposed to, you know, crackling and, and obsessed with words and just the carriage like, right in the beginning to me feels that way. Yeah, all that like, time in the snow. Yeah, it's a lot of conversation and a lot of people establishing their like shady motivations without any new information being revealed and, you know, people like talking about themselves and kind of setting themselves up. But it just it felt like it, it feels like it goes in circles for it. Well, isn't that what a novel does? Like it takes its time and we show character this, through the but this is a novel. Not what a, that's not what a film is. Yeah. And this is a novel. If this were a novel, it's a novel in need of an editor, which is true of like great writers all the time that, you know, George R. R. Martin or, or Stieg Larsson or whatever. They lose Oh, control. my God, Stieg Larsson. Yes, this feels they so need, much like a Journal of the Dragon. Yeah, <laughs> they need an editor, you know, and, and when they're pared down, they're sharp. And when they're allowed to do whatever they want because they're a quote-unquote genius, it's not necessarily that great. And I thought the flashback, the lengthy, lengthy flashback, didn't work at all for me. And I that might be Channing Tatum's fault, but am I allowed to say... Like yeah, any of that? <laughs> yeah, let's, they, let's, they just, let's just come out and say that we're gonna they, we're gonna be spoilery well, in this review. Because... And they released an official still of Channing Tatum in the movie, although it was outside, and his character never appears outside, which was That's so that was weird. I thought he I thought he tracks someone outside in the snow, doesn't he? Yeah, but it, his outside was nice, and I think when he tracks it, well, I don't know. Uh-huh. You might be know. right. You might be right. Um, but yeah, spoilers from from here on out. Channing no, Tatum no is gong, in this movie. <laughs> no he uh whip. Spoiler whip. Um, but- <laughs> or, or watching them like, I mean, I get, you know, I, the one of my favorite things that someone told me is that, or Tarantino himself said it, is that The Thing is one of his greatest inspirations for this movie, which is just, I mean, the mm-hmm. Kurt Russell connection, the snow, sure. the amount of tension. I guess Ennio Morricone used some tracks that he wrote for The Thing in, in this soundtrack. Like, that's, that's interesting to me, but The Thing is taut, and this is loose and sloppy. And, um... The like the part where they're pounding the stakes into the snow to mm-hmm. like link the chain to the outhouse. Like I'm all for establishing a sense of place, but I feel like we get it. Or like the repeating gag with the door. Like mm-hmm. it just doesn't land for me. Well, it feels like things that are being set up for you to be, you know, to come into play or to be part of it. And there are things that do work that way. You know, they show a shot of jelly beans in the floorboard and you kind of get yeah. why that's there. But the stakes and the door are just kind of there as setting place. And they're like red herrings, but they're they're done in a way that doesn't make them feel like satisfying red herrings either. What does a satisfying red herring? I don't know. That's what a red herring is. I mean, is. something that like gives you something that gives you an idea when you're like, oh, so maybe that's going to tie into this thing. Or like it gives you a mystery. It gives you something to buy in on, a way to play along. And I, even when I think about Inglorious Bastards and the the tavern scene, which is one of my favorite scenes in movies, period. Yes. Like, that's Tarantino doing something similar so, so well. And in that, you had information. You, had, you knew... Who, who many of the players were. You didn't know who all of them were, so there was some mystery there. But there was a narrative. There was something you were waiting to happen, and none of that the door is in this movie. It felt like a gag to me. It felt like Clue, or it felt like but it didn't feel to mystery. It's not that funny, funny though. I yeah. <laughs> I thought it was And it was, it was weird that Tim Roth was basically doing Chris, a Christoph Waltz impression, and uh, Madsen didn't work at all for me. Uh, performance-wise. Demon Bashir was... Well, we had a we had a sound issue that I think might not be in every theater, but the sound was super muddled. So, like, every when Demian Bashir comes out and meets them in kind of in the wind store, I couldn't hear a word he said. No. And he has, you know, he has a Mexican accent, so, like, there's part of that, too, and his, like, mouth is covered for a lot of it. But, yeah, there were some weird, like, problems just understanding what was happening, what people were saying. 
Who hides Damien Bashir, who's so charming? I know. Like, so much coat and hat and scarf for most of the movie. Yeah, there's yeah. Walton Goggins kind of gets all of the charm in the movie, and a lot of other charming people are kind of left to it. All a, of the charm in the movie. He's <laughs> disgusting racist. Yeah, but he's very charming. I, well, that's, that's some that's racist thing, people are man. also very nice, like your grandparents. Dave, you <laughs> must have kind of like this movie, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the the problems that Katie and Joanna had it had with it is probably why it's not going to be like one of my top three Quentin Tarantino movies. But like, as somebody who's seen a lot of plays, this is a play that wants to be a movie so bad that it spent millions and millions of dollars shooting on like the same lenses as Ben Hur. And it has all the positives and negatives of that. Like, it's great being feeling like you're in the space. And for me, you know, this sort of like Agatha Christie style mystery where it's about building tension and then somebody explains everything to you that sort of leads into like a Quentin Tarantino explosion of violence at the end that sort of feels silly at that point because you've spent so much time in this like staged um, dialogue based tension sort of building thing. I do think it's deliberately silly by that point. Oh, yeah, I I definitely think so. I mean, I think it's deliberately silly by the intermission. And if you don't get that feeling by the scene right before the intermission, that I totally see why you'd walk out because it ends after like putting its foot into the different tone that it wants to eventually end up in. But in terms of a movie, like the problem I've mostly had with it is that I left feeling like not as uplifted as I usually do with like revisionist history Tarantino, which meant that this probably wasn't revisionist history Tarantino. So, I mean, I also caught the allusions to the thing. And if it, that those exist and they're supposed to exist, then I can only think that it's like, you know, the original sin of sexism or racism. It's sort of treated interchangeably, but making somebody lesser than you because you're capable of being more aggressive than them is, that is the thing. Is get it gets echoed across everybody. There's nobody doesn't touch no matter what how justifiable your your backstory is. Absolutely. Like the hate sort of like rolls on. So like the end of the thing where you have two characters and you know they're not okay because one of them's probably the thing. This ends with a very <laughs> similar you know sort of shot where it's like these the two the the characters that are left at the end of this are the the horribleness that we watched manifest across those three hours very slowly. And the fact that it's so slow and so easy to see how these things are going to play out to the point where like, there's a large stretch of the movie where you're just waiting for somebody to drink something, you know, is poisoned Mm -hmm. um, is just about how you, you know, you can't kill these like really deep, wrong, hateful things about us. And so in that sense, it's nice, but it's not going to leave me with. Yeah, this is not an uplifting, an uplifting movie. This does not feeling. end on a on a positive note at all. It's about. It ends with a lynching. It, yeah. yeah, but well, so I've heard, seen some people say that, oh, like these two guys are pals and they're laughing as they're like lynching this woman. And you're just like, what? This is not positive. This is not a happy ending. They didn't win this movie everyone loses in this movie when these people and i don't together, think they survive either no there's a, how no. could they how could they possibly no. but i think yeah. what's interesting and why why do we need such laborious build-up and why do we luxuriate in these this ride through the snow to the haberdashery well we want to we want to really like sam jackson and i think we want to really like caruso we want to think that um jennifer jason lee 
her character Daisy, the psychopath, is crazy, is a psychopath, is murderous, and shouldn't be, you know, and she keeps mouthing off, saying horrible words. You know, Katie, you had a big problem with the N-word use in this movie, and she's it's bursting out of her mouth at every, not at just every her. moment. No, not just her, but, uh, you know, he, he plugs it into her dialogue all the time just to, to villainize her, and he does it very successfully. And then all the tides turn, and Sam Jackson does horrible things in this movie, and Kurt Russell... Does horrible things in the movie. I mean, it's it's really a downer, but it has to be paced. I think it's more methodical than you're giving it credit for. It's not indulgent, but it must take its time, and it must crackle, and it must be conversational. Um, and it has to be playful. It has to be fun so that when the racism and the sexism and everything that's bubbling underneath these people is allowed to be let loose – that it's just horrible that these people this is the modern conversation that we're having. I don't think it's like I mean, I hated Django Unchained. I really, really did not enjoy the movie um or what it had to say about race or how it had to say uh those things. Um but this I felt was really relevant and just everything, is- all this kind of mudslinging that we go through on social media and in, and in our conversations on on both on liberal fronts, on conservative fronts, on all fronts, just the the villainy of even even our triumphant moments, even our positive moments, our campaigning for peace ends up being angry and violent, and and I think hateful eight packs it all in there in, in its most heroic movie, uh, moments. It's disgusting. It's it's really but shocking. I don't, but I don't think that it. I don't think that the movie thinks it's disgusting. I think the way that it's reveling in the hateful behavior of these characters. I mean, I think you're right that it's pointing out the sexism and racism that's kind of endemic in America, and like that's what we were born with, and it's the thing. It's going to travel and infect us all. But it doesn't seem that concerned with it. Like it's allowed Quentin Tarantino to tell this bloody story with all these kind of roguish characters. Like it's not. I don't need it to like stand up and tell me racism is bad. But I don't feel like I got any of that like I don't I don't think I mean I, I get what you mean about the movie not being a happy ending but there's not like a regretful tone it doesn't do what I think uh, many of the Coen Brothers movies do that deal with violence where it really makes you regret the violence that you've been enjoying like there's none of that in this I recently I was asked to to write an article <laughs> about um, Quentin Tarantino's like most badass characters my my boss boss loves Tarantino or whatever or he loves certain aspects of Tarantino what was curious who was the most badass character badass is a really interesting word because I think it is apt to some Tarantino characters and it's thrown around a lot when we talk about Tarantino and especially someone like the bride from Kill Bill what a badass it's awesome um and and these displays of violence artful violence and and I was thinking about okay who are the badass characters in Tarantino's filmography um well I had to exclude everyone in Hateful Eight. I really don't think maybe Kurt Russell is up there. But for me, a badass is someone positive, someone heroic. And all of Quentin Tarantino's characters are morally complicated, kind of ambiguous. You know, they're bad. Even his villains, if they can turn out to be good, then then maybe they can be badasses too. Even if, you know, like Julius from Pulp Fiction. Not a good um... guy, but he's a badass because sometimes he's doing – Bad things for the right reasons, or his bad. Well, we, what mm-hmm. what did would you, you have ha- against Obi from the Hateful Eight? I know. Well, he's not kick-ass, but he is the only non-hateful character, <laughs> the ninth character. Not right. Hateful. He doesn't even get to be in the eight. <laughs> uh, 
Um, oh yeah, Ob, not badass, but not a not a miserable. Wait, is this the guy? Is this the guy driving the carriage? Yeah, yeah. this okay. is a this is a weird thing. Like, if this were a morality tale, right, then Obi would have survived. But it's not a morality tale, so he can't survive because he's going to be destroyed by humanity by, by the hate by all of this hate. Yeah. So what I'm, my point here is that no one is a badass because no one in this movie is heroic at all, or no one comes through with a heroic, a truly heroic moment and a stand up moment it's either like even the ending is about greed it's about who gets to walk away who deserves who has the privilege to to succeed in this like mexican standoff i guess is what you might call it but um my parents just call it a standoff (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to make that joke but i felt like i wasn't allowed to and i'm so glad dave made it um that was that was that's now a reference to earlier this week yes in this episode. Um, but what, let, let me challenge you that way. Like, isn't this supposed to be disgusting? Aren't, we, aren't they supposed to be obsessed with their language and obsessed with their stories? Um, and, like, one of the most are fascinating they things is... obsessed with their language? I think one of the most interesting things that um, I've heard discussed, I mean, maybe this is common knowledge and I just never put it together, but that Quentin Tarantino is making these, like, mini trilogies, right? And the third film in each trilogy is Death Proof, Jackie Brown, and uh, Hateful Eight. And then they comment back on the first two movies in the group of three. And so if you take, you know, Django and Inglorious and Hateful as a trilogy, I'm still kind of grappling with how Hateful Eight comments on them or subverts them in some way. But I will say that Death Proof, Jackie Brown and Hateful Eight are my least favorite (laughs) Tarantino movies. And, um, you know, I I just don't know if, if Quentin Tarantino gives us the popcorn and then gives us something else in these third movies that I just don't respond to as well. And I like the popcorn, and I don't know if that makes me superficial or whatever. No, but. because I think that the the depth of it, I mean, not like I don't want to say it's not there because a lot of smart people, patches included, are finding a lot in there, but I just I don't think what it's commenting on or what it's saying is as profound as he thinks it is. Yeah. I bet I guess it's not that it needs to be revelatory. It's that it ne- needs to be said and it needs to be as disgusting. But what, like, what, like, so what, so what, how would you sum up what this movie is? Cause we, we you, you've talked about this. I have a problem with me saying the movie's not really about anything. Um, but like, what is this movie saying that you find important? It's taking the conversation that, uh, uh that in the sub tweets of the world. Oh my God. And in the, in the <laughs> headlines that we see every day and in the conflicts that are, uh, plaguing the streets of America, and it's bottling them up into one room where everyone gets a gun. And how does it end? It ends with everyone dead. It has to. And even the people who try to save themselves by appealing to to white men, you know, Sam Jackson has a quote unquote letter from Abraham Lincoln, and it's bullshit. Um, that is that won't save him. Or these true racists like. They cannot prevail, obviously, um, and and even the psychopathic ones um, who maybe we root for because we don't want to see her guy die. She's been beaten so many times. You know, we feel bad. No, a woman shouldn't be beaten like that. That is, I, I've seen a lot of reactions. You know, like violence towards women. This is heinous, but she's awful. She must die too because she is a villainess. Um, there's just so much going on, and it seems to be suffocating. It seems so dense inside that room. And thank God, you know, I know a lot of people are like, why did they shoot this on 70 millimeter when you're going to trap people in a small room? Because the, it opens it up so much. The colors, the dust, the just the world 
comes to life because of 70 millimeter. And I don't know. I, I just I don't necessarily find it profound. I'm just glad someone's talking like this. How the world but I, but I still, really but like, sounds. When you say it's like taking our conversation, like I still don't know what like what conversation. Like what do you mean? Are you talking about race? I'm talking about race. I'm talking about gender. gender I'm talking yeah. about. I cannot privilege. name a single thing this movie says about gender. I would be fascinated to know what you think it says. Well, after the Civil War, they just replaced the black people with the women in terms of who they could hit on publicly and call names without being questioned i mean kind of i mean either like, way there's a it's class a... element to that that like that i don't like that doesn't really make any sense to me well sure but this movie but it uh takes that out by isolating them all in in a haberdashery so I like mean, we don't, I, we don't like, even know the backstory of why she's will... like a scheming psychopath like i don't know that 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 cognate does I, think... I don't think it's there I think there is an interesting movie to be made where everyone is terrible and everyone is also kind of – I'm not everyone, but I, I think there is a movie in this movie where Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Walton Goggins, and Samuel L. Jackson all like play hero and villain at any given second and that it's interesting um, and everyone else sort of populates the background. Um but, you know, because I, I think that is interesting. You see Kurt Russell, you think he's the hero. He's taking the criminal. But then he hits a woman in the face a million times and calls her terrible names. So you're like, oh, no, I don't like that guy. And then you meet Sam Jackson. You're like, oh, everyone's calling him terrible names. And we don't like racists. So we are with him. But then he, nope, he's not a good guy either. Well, and Goggins is a terrible racist. But I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like him. Maybe and he's sweet. And he's Wall Goggins. He's like Wall Goggins. And then Jennifer Jason Lee, right? She's this horrible villain. But then every time she gets hit in the face, you give a little bit of your sympathy to her. So yes. I think that that's interesting. Sure. That, yes. That just keeps playing with that over and over again. But he just drowns in this in the overall mess of this movie for me. So you know what movie says more about race and gender than Hateful Eight? <laughs> Alien. <laughs> And that movie's also a bunch of people trapped um, in a room. Please explain. It's I mean, because the woman and the black guy are the last ones to die. Or Chirac. Yeah, that's not enough of a reason for me. <laughs> I haven't seen Chirac. Well, that tells you how little I think that this has a say about gender particularly. I mean, it's much more that's explicitly nuts. about race. I mean, I exactly what Joanna said I think is present in the movie. I think the setup and the time that it takes is necessary. It's also fun. I mean, I like the dialogue of this movie, so I want to hear this kind of like weird Western beat poetry that he's spitting out, um, watching these great actors talk. I think, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Chris Plant, wrote something at The Verge about um, The Hateful Eight being a play, but being a totally inferior play to everything that Martin McDonough has done. He wrote huh. Inishmore in yes. Um, I think that is a totally unfair comparison. Chris, if you're listening, I love you, but Super that's insane. Fair. That's insane because um, <laughs> Martin McDonough, I think, is is much less or much pulpier um, and as, as existential as it can get. It, it does not have the urgency and fire of something like Hateful Eight. I love all of Martin McDonough's plays and films, um, but the, the comparison there, I think – both McDonough and Tarantino are indebted to Mamet, who just wants to hear people talk and hear people talk in a fantastic way at times. So there is that just the the superficial pleasure of hearing this dialogue be spit out by people like Sam Jackson, who I could watch a whole movie of him monologuing. Who cares what he's talking about? But at least, it's, yes, it's exactly what Joanna is saying. It's, it is <sighs> the moral play. It is setting up these characters that have two identities, one you sympathize with, one you find totally reprehensible and then you can play the game you can play clue at the end you could have the agatha you christie mystery no there's and not then enough you want, information then you think, to play it what 
You don't have enough information to play Clue. Like you it's constantly springing things out, things out at you that you have no way of knowing. You can't play along with the mystery. But that. That's the whole point. It's challenging oh, your. It's challenging your idea yeah. <laughs> to play the mystery. You're. You want the winner, Katie. You want no, the winner. No, I don't want the winner. I want to know package. who fucking poisoned the coffee, and I don't have enough information to do it. Like it's setting up really basic mysteries that you can't play along with. You're not I supposed agree. to solve the mystery I, because there's no mis- There's no solution. Everyone sucks. Oh my god. I I agree with Katie that it, that if. We wanted people keep comparing it to Agatha Christie, who is like one of my favorite writers of all time. But this is no Hercule Poirot in the drawing room situation at all for me. Like but it wants to be, like it's, it's oh, no, it's trying to be, it's trying to be for sure. Absolutely, I agree with you. And as I was watching, I was like, oh, he's gonna do Agatha Christie. Great, I love Agatha Christie. Yeah, and I was like, nope, I'm not getting the satisfaction. But that's from why this it's more all. the thing, which is not really Agatha Christie. It's more of. Sure. You can't solve that, this because... No, in the thing, you definitely don't know who is... Who, you can't solve yeah. mankind. Yeah, sure. But like, I can't believe we're giving this movie credit for like giving us like villains who we root for when like Inglorious Bastards and Christoph Waltz's performance in that exists. Like He has done this better before with better dialogue and better characters. No, I'm not I saying it's the, the only time he's done it, but I'm just oh, saying... Oh, I know. I, I, Katie, I no. just want you to know that I don't root for Christoph Waltz's character in Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> But you're fascinated by him. You want to keep watching. He's a good character. Well, so this was the big challenge of putting this badass list together, right? There's going to be characters left off that we love. We love Hans Landa. Um, but we can't put him on a badass list because he's no. he's a terrible person. I think there's – but, Katie, to your point, I think there's a difference between Hans Landa and, like, what is going on with – I mean, maybe, like, you could compare Walton Goggins' character to Hans Landa. But, like, what is going on with Kurt Russell – and Jennifer Jason Lee, where your sympathies, or my sympathies at least, kept ping-ponging back between the two of sure, them. Sure, sure. Um, and they're literally chained together. I mean, I think there's just a really interesting dynamic there. But I don't want Patches to use that to make it seem like I'm on his side because I'm not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I will not use your praise to feel vindicated is, in my praise. There's a kernel of a good idea that's lost in... A movie that doesn't work for me, you know. Would any of you not rather watch The Thing again before watching this movie? Yes. In fact, I have watched The Thing since, watch and both. it's a much better movie. Oh, man. I would love to watch The Thing right now. I just I keep trying to think about I saw a play when I was in London that was just Jeremy Irons monologuing in two acts. And I can't remember the details of what happened, but I remember being enraptured by just the process of it all. And there's sometimes this movie captures it for me, where even if I see it coming... I'm enraptured by like the process of it. And then when it ends, because it's not fun, it feels more impactful to me. Like, you know, shooting Hitler in the face, obviously, I, you know, everybody is, knows how they're supposed to feel at that exact moment. At the end of this movie, walking out and then feeling more depressed than I had walking out of a Quentin Tarantino movie before gave it some sort of impact. I don't know if it made it good, but it elevated it above the sort of like, Domino setting somebody up to to have two sides and then knocking them down. Even with shooting Hitler in the face, though, you're you're feeling that joy, but you're also like, wait, this can't happen. How is this like? There's like a thrill in breaking the rules in that that I really like in it. That uh, I don't feel like. I mean, Jingo and Chan didn't have any well, there, but what, I don't think. He, so this is not revisionist history. This is no. This is historical fiction. This is not playing games and. Though so there are the real people and real events referenced in it, which is historical fiction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What the the Civil War battles or what? What are you thinking? Of? Yeah. Don't they reference like Jesse James or some real life outlaw? At some I point? Th- I think the the like racist group that 
you know, Walton Goggins' dad was part of is like a real thing. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I just think it's interesting to have this whole, like, how can you say there's nothing going on when you have a black guy, a white tough guy, a woman, a total redneck racist, a Mexican, a British guy, and an old southern man? Like, I mean, it can have all those things and not say anything <laughs> that about is, them. <laughs> that is Breitbart They're hateful. And versus... And then there's and then there's Obi. <laughs> there's Obi. Oh my God! And they murder Zoe Bell and yeah. There's a lot of Adam reveling Trump. in the murder of black women. That's a little weird. The yeah, re- and what? It no, revels in it. No. Yes. <laughs> it's. I think. Well, it, I think this is maybe where I come down to have a problem with the use of the N word too. Like I think it's reveling in things that you think it's just showing there to show how terrible it is. And I think it's. Enjoy- I mean, it's there for you to enjoy the transgression of it being there. Oh, wow. I don't really mm. think it yeah, fetishizes I don't know that I... violence in that way. I think that's playing catch up with what we, I mean. We... But all Tarantino fetishes, like, it's the same as when you watch a bunch of people kill Nazis and Inglourious Bastards. I don't know, man. He, the violence he fetishizes movie violence. is so different than seeing the bear Jew gun down a theater <laughs> full of Nazis. The bear you Yeah, um... it's so different than Kill Bill, like shadow samurai swords this is gross i just like bring but like bringing it back to like the coen brothers again like there's a really big difference between watching brad pitt get shot in the face and watching kelly mcdonald get killed in no country for old men like they know how to tell the difference between there being violence that is there to horrify you and being violence there to enjoy it i don't think think, tarantino in this movie does wow i think this movie crosses the line and is unenjoyable i don't know how you like i don't know how you depict something with that much brutality and cross the line anymore like there's so much like gore that is there for people to clap their hands and yell at. Like I don't, I don't think Tarantino's doing is finessing it enough to make it, and I, you know, I, I have an impact. I just think the problem is that usually you go to a Tarantino movie to sort of yeah revel in the violence. Like it's not as Katie says what you get with the Coen Brothers. It's like you just give yourself over to this violence because usually it's a oftentimes it's a righteous violence, right? Mm-hmm. And then here he's trying to show you terrible, awful people doing terrible, awful things to each other, but it's still stylized in the Tarantino way. Like like when um, Goggins and Sam Jackson have um, those three guys lined up against the wall, like and people just get keep getting shot and blood keeps spurting and. Channing Tatum's head explodes like it's it's still Tarantino pulpy violence that you're used to cheering for and you should feel weird for him to subvert it into this different way but I don't think it quite lands in the events is is key here right because when we see these guys kill these black women or, or infiltrate their house and have this whole plan I mean that is so up to that point these guys maybe maybe we're suspicious of them. They're not as bad, or like maybe these guys are being overly paranoid. No, they are horrific. They're invading and they're murdering in cold blood. This is horrible um, and precise. It's so deeply disturbing. But when so when you see Channing Tatum get his head blown off, that is satisfying. You should be like fuck you, and and enjoy that moment. But that's when you're like, and then you realize it's Sam Jackson pulling the trigger, and at that point you're that you. It's in conflict with itself. It's supposed to be. You're supposed to be rooting for it, but then realizing that you shouldn't be rooting for it. And that's how the world works. I just didn't extrapolate it to the worldview at all. I didn't get out of the room. And I didn't didn't find myself rooting for anything, basically. I feel like Neo Morricone's music goes a long way from me feeling (laughs) disturbed by this movie on a very deep level. I mean, it is just like Saul's on top of P. 
piano strings. I don't know what is going on, but it's ripping into my brain the music in this movie. It's it's very good. And from the opening scene, I love that opening shot of the camera kind of panning up over the snow and we hear the music. The cross. It's so scary. It's, it's so it's scary. It's interminable. Like and I <laughs> and I don't want to sound like some sort of I only go to see movies with explosions and and kissing and whatever. Like I, I can I can appreciate a slow deliberate film like Carol. Well, where was the kissing? <laughs> where was kissing? But <laughs> why didn't Zoe Bell and Channing Tatum make out? But <laughs> I mean they um, would be a great couple. Let's <laughs> but you know, yeah, that snow scene, that's where I get indulgent. Like watching that, opening with that, I was like, this is either going to be the best movie I've ever seen or an indulgent frustration. And I want to make it clear that one of my favorite movies of all time is Lawrence of Arabia, which is really long and has an intermission and an overture and all of this shit. And it's amazing. Like I'm not fundamentally opposed to this, but you got to earn it. You got to have a reason. Dave, be the final word. You're in the middle. Um, uh, I still think that, you know, if this was a play, we'd be having an entirely different conversation with it. And because of the way that it was presented, which apparently it's, you can't see anymore. Uh, I think it was built, it was built for that. I'm not sure how your, you listener, how your, uh, go at it went because you got, to go all the way through without stopping uh, after Sam Jackson's little story and violence finally erupts. So it might have been like a more intense experience and maybe pushed you more towards patches or maybe you knew right from the top shot uh, that this was going to be a long, protracted Quentin Tarantino affair. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I can't, wonder if I can't... the build-up to this movie has hurt it in people's eyes that Tarantino kind of puts it on a pedestal by saying... I shot in 70 millimeter. It's going to go on a road show. It's going to be a big deal. I think that means different things to different people. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is like, this is an event. This is how it should be seen. Uh, I could see why he he would think that, but I I think that that might have, like, if you tell people they're going to go out and have a night at the movies, I think delivering something like this when there isn't other stuff at the Cineplex that is presented in this format and is presented as this huge event like, this isn't a night at the movies movie. This is like a go back and think about all of your life it being a Rube Goldberg <laughs> device you have no control over movie. I was so, so it's, happy it's... that we had a podcast to go to after this movie. I, I knew <laughs> this would be fodder. This would be perfect. Well, yeah, fighting. I think it's a fun thing to see. We're fighting. We're fighting in, in the, the haberdashery. <laughs> oh, my God. In the... God, let me never go back to that haberdashery again. Listen, all you people. Try and understand You may be a soldier Woman, child or man But there won't be many coming home No, there won't be many coming home Oh, there won't be many Maybe ten out of twenty But there won't be Hey, Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of Natalie Dormer starring in The Forest, a movie we did not see, unfortunately, nope. which I think it's a ghost story or something that takes place in... It's, it's set in that forest that... Uh, where that sea of, sea of trees. trees. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hashtag real suicide forest. <laughs> 
Hashtag the force is real. Everybody go visit. The forest awakens. Um, Who is the prevailing modern scream queen? Even if she only started one horror movie. Who can take over for Jamie Lee Curtis? Joanna, you had a good pick. Um, I will go with Marco Cerritos, uh, which is at Big Dumb Mail, said Emma Roberts from Scream Queens. But I'd actually give it to Skylar Samuels, who was also in Scream Queens. Wait, which one was she? You know, the one you actually like. I I really like Emma Robertson in Scream Queens. She's very, very, very funny. Wait, I I don't – Skylar Samuels barely registered in that series for me. She's like the, the plain one. She does nothing. She's not as funny as all the other girls. She's the hero. You like the mean girls. That's fine. Yep. I guess that's, I see, that is me I with tea. <laughs> Look at my dating history. Anywho. Uh, uh, Dave. Uh, I'm going to go with Bradley Hamed, who said could be Vera Farmiga. Her number one movie on IMDb is The Conjuring. And then there's Orphan and Bates Motel. This is tough. It is tough, but I like your pick. That's a good answer. Vera Farmiga is suitably weird and funny, and Where'd I think she she's. Go? Uh, she's it's motel. Cheesy. It's motel. Right, right, it's right. motel, in, man. Uh, patches. First, I just want to say that my current fiance is not a mean girl. So. Your current my... fiance? Oh wait, my only fiance. Whoops. <laughs> 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 Future wow. life. Um, wow. Man, I've said so many wrong things. It's like the hateful eight and up in this shit. I'm gonna go with uh, our friend. Will Goss at William B. Goss. He reminded me of Sarah Paxton, who was in Left House, Last House on the Left, The Innkeepers, and Shark Knight 3D. And mm, that rap video that after the credits, apparently. <laughs> I did not stay for that part. But um, I love The Innkeepers. Uh, she's fantastic. Uh, I don't know what she's done recently. I guess I'm not a, a, a true fan, but um, I really like The Innkeepers, and she's spooky. Um, I'm going with our other friend Jordan Hoffman who says Melissa George and I don't know why because I haven't seen scary movies she's been in although she's been in a bunch uh, but I think it's hilarious she was on The Slap so <laughs> I hope she I hope she won it for that she Remember was in slap? <laughs> 30 Days of Night 30 Days of Night uh, A Lonely Place to Die is that a horror movie? yes I don't know <laughs> you don't. You should admit you don't watch scary. I am movies. way out of my depth. I mean, I, I I said this when I picked S. E. Davis for mine because the Babadook is one of the few horror movies I brought myself to see. So I'm really operating on a lot of no information. Anyway, that does it for this week's fighting in the war room. We'll be back next week, probably still. Not, oh no, we we got a Michael Bay Benghazi movie next week. Oh boy. Oh good lord. That's <laughs> if if they show it to us. If they show it to us. So it's uh, Maybe January. They've, uh, they've edited Transformers into it since we last saw it. January is always a fascinating time to do our jobs, so we'll see what happens. Uh, in the meantime, everyone, uh, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, I'm Joanna Robinson. Thank you for having me. I'm fighting in the worm this week. Yay! <laughs> Most days on manyfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this, and you can talk to everyone including the absent David Ehrlich over on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash fighting in the war room. And I am Matt Patches. I am the entertainment editor of Thrillist and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm Dave Gonzalez. First name DA 70. Also my Twitter handle where you could find my stuff. And I'm Katie Rich. I'm at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H on Twitter and at VanityFair.com with Joanna. Good times. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week.